All right, guys, what is up? Welcome back to Buddy Walk with Jesus. As always, as we get started, we want you guys to know two very important things that you are prayed for and that you are loved deeply for all the links, for all the things. You can check us out, buddywalkwithjesus.com. We are a little more than halfway to the goal that we've been setting out on for funding this trip to Michigan through the help of you wonderful people in the community. So if that is something that you are interested in learning more about, buddywalkwithjesus.com. And last but not least, do not hesitate to reach out if you are in need of prayer, prayer at buddywalkwithjesus.com. So today we are kicking off um, a, com- a series of conversations that I am so excited to have. So there's this common thread, right, among the people that I tend to call my tribe, my people, we all identify ourselves as, as misfits when when put into the context of the, the greater whole of, mm, I'm going to say the church that feels uncomfortable to say, but uh, I'll say the American church. What do you think? Uh, a little bit of both. It's mostly, well, I normally just say American evangelicalism is normally where I throw it. That That's a safe spot to stick that. Okay, yeah. cool. Yep, that makes sense. So who better than, than the namesake the guy literally owns the brand, um, Ministry Misfit, one of the Ministry Misfits himself. Welcome to Buddy Walk, Andrew. Thanks for having me. So, so I want to, I want to unpack this right because I've, I, I'm not going to lie, right? I, 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 I catch a lot of heat in Christian in the Christian media world because I, I don't, I don't hold back, right? I don't, I don't shy away from that authenticity factor and all of those kinds of things. My man, you may in fact be the one person that I know <laughs> that catches more heat by the popular zeitgeist than I do. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably safe to say also. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so oh, what I was going to say was, I don't know if I've seen you since this happened, but we actually got put on three discernment watch lists in the past month. Three in one yeah. month. Now you're just showing off. Yeah, you know, you gotta love Twitter, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, what is it? What is a discernment watch list? Really, it's nothing. It's just right. kind of funny that they think it's something. Um, you know, there are certain certain areas within the church that believe a little bit more than others about certain areas of scripture. So whether that's end time stuff, whether that's just the role of the spirit, whether that's the role of the church, whatever, whatever you want to call it, there's a couple of different things, but the discernment watch list typically are ones where you've got literal people that think they are watchdogs or, you know, the watchtower type thing. And, and then they find a false prophet, they start, they screenshot them. Well, they interact first, get what they think they're looking for, and then blast it all over to their followers saying, look, here's another false prophet. Make sure you guys blast him and block him. Um, which the the three things that guys put on there, one was for uh, apparently, you know, the dangerous sports ministry. You know, having sports ministry is such a danger. 
Um, and then the other two were for the other sin of multi-ethnic ministry and community outreach um, were the things we got put on these watch lists for. Um, so real quick, just so, just for those of you keeping tra- keeping score at home. All right. So, so the <laughs> issue here is that you care about athletes and you care about people who aren't are marginalized. Yeah. Are marginalized. Yes. Th- thank you. Yeah. I was waiting for you to, use- thank you. Um, yeah. Wh- why? So, so the the thought process behind this, and this is kind of where we're going along with the theology stuff that we're going to get into. Right. The thought process is is that the church does not need any external influences to be able to reach people because we have everything we need with the gospel, which is a hundred percent true theologically. But it is not 100% true methodologically or philosophically. And the methods that we promote through CSRM, which is one of the organizations I work for, is Sports Rec and Fitness Ministry. And we also promote a a type of of evangelism that we refer to as Celtic evangelism, which is all about the community aspect of things. Then they also don't like the idea of the multi-ethnic ministry because they believe that you're shifting the focus away from Christ and onto the way that, and onto who is entering your building, which is literally what evangelism is supposed to be about. So, you know, yeah. So if those those trying to keep track at home, I'm just as confused as you. That's part of why I brought it up to Joe because I knew I'd be able to watch his his eyes start spinning really fast trying to figure this whole thing out. Right. Right. So (laughs) I, one of the, one of the goals here in having this conversation, it's, it's easy. It's the low hanging fruit because every person's going to have a story. And eventually I'm going to tell my story about what makes me a misfit. And we're all going to have this, this shared thing of somebody got out of pocket somewhere along the way. That's not necessarily the most important part of the puzzle. Yeah, people are always out of pocket, but what is it? What is the anatomy of the misfit that that once you tell enough of these stories, once you allow enough people to speak on their experiences, unfiltered, no restraint, eventually you're going to find the through lines, the connecting points that make each one of us a misfit. So... I, I want, I, it feels like the biggest piece of this puzzle, right, is, um, help me out. I don't know if this is the same thing. Critical race theory. Is that essentially <laughs> the thing, the boogeyman that you're talking about as far as multi-ethnic ministry? Well, that that's the one that everybody kind of starts to single in on. That's not necessarily the one that necessarily always gets you labeled misfit. That typically, that... The CRT stuff doesn't get me labeled misfit. That gets me labeled um, apostate Marxist agent of Satan. That's just as bad as abortion doctor. Um, that was the uh, the label that CRT got me labeled with. Um, you know, the, the CRT debate is a long, long thing, but most of it is found. And it's the same thing even that we're going to get to with all the, the theology stuff in here, as far as the anatomy of a misfit, of the idea of, People have taken something that they think is a problem and rather than actually engaging it to find out why they think it's a problem, they instead have added a bunch of they've taken away the stuff that they they think could be okay 
replaced it with a bunch of stuff that they know people will be mad about. And then they throw it out there saying, this is what it really is. And so we all need to be against it. And anybody that says otherwise is obviously anti-Christ and anti-gospel. Right. When in reality, the most of us that are arguing CRT is not the boogeyman don't even agree with CRT. We just think that the church needs to loosen up a little bit and not worry so much about CRT when things like what came out on Sunday with the SBC sex abuse report or the thousands of threads that we have online of racial discrimination within the church is out there. We've got much bigger fish to fry than whether or not CRT is going down in the elementary school. Right, right. There's so so for for those that that are unaware, um, for for those of you in different parts of the world that that haven't heard the goings on in in America, um, again, the American church is rocked with another scandal, and I and and I. I say it like that because, unfortunately, there's nothing new under the sun when these things happen. And unfortunately, very, very quickly, the issue, much like the heartbreaking events of yesterday. Right. That Which is also being used by members of the church to push something that is not anything the church is required to do. Yeah, it's yeah. The, the politicizing of it is is heartbreaking i'm not i'm not ready i don't think i'm ready emotionally yet to fully unpack everything that happened yesterday yeah because that's that's devastating yeah but so so there's so so there is there is turmoil amongst amongst the church right now because yet another child abuse scandal has has come out and and sprung up and all of those kinds of things and so that's that's what we're referencing when when we talk about the SBC stuff. The Southern yeah. Baptist Council Convention. 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 Yeah. Which and and that, you know, the the SBC has a different place in my heart than most people because I grew up SBC. Mm -hmm. I'm licensed through the SBC. I was unofficially ordained, which is a whole nother story for another time. Um, that's again, that wouldn't make sense outside of the U S but with the U S legal stuff, that's the reason it's unofficial. Um, you know, everything like that, but I also have been outcasted by the SBC. Right. And so, you know, there, that's part of the, the reason why that, that stuff in particular sticks out very well to me. Right. Um, Yeah. But yeah, the CRT thing that you initially brought up is just the. If you really want to go in depth with it, check it. Check out the episode I did with Antoine Malone over on the over on Misfits, um, where we cool. break it down. Cool. I'll make sure to um, put a link to that in the episode description of this episode. Um, so, getting back on getting back on track. So, you have you have these interactions, right? So so, what is it? about your theology about your system about your way of doing things whatever it is what is it about you that that puts you firmly in that misfit category and puts you at odds with this particular group so 
it's it's really because I don't have a category. Um, that that really is the main main thing because like we we already have hinted at a few times the politi the politi the politicization. Um, however, you actually are supposed to say it for those of you that actually speak English. Um, <laughs> you know, the politicization of the church is really where a lot of this stuff starts. Yeah. Um, you know, I I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not an Arminian. I think both of them have things that are biblically sound. I think both of them have things that are not biblical at all. I, you know, I'm not a I'm not a dispensationalist, but I'm also not, you know, a you know, firm anti anything eschatology. I believe we need to actually read apocalyptic literature as apocalyptic literature and understand that the gospel is moving through it. You know, all of these sort of things are it there is no real category. And within American evangelicalism and just Protestantism in general, the denominationizing we're gonna make that a word now denominationizing forces people to have to try and categorize their stuff. You know, right. when one of the, one of the times that I was applying for a job within churches, there were four or five interviews in a row where the only question they cared about was, are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? Right. And when I said neither, that was the end of the interview. They didn't care about anything else. All they care about is where do you fall on this line? Um, you know, that that is where, in terms of the, the label stuff, it starts. But it, it goes a little bit further than that in the fact that, you know, what we refer to on our show as holy discontent, this, this thing that God puts in us that we cannot shake. And that we have to do something about because it actually physically will do something to us if we do not. The The holy discontent for the church is really a lot of times where the disagreements with the established church start. Because of the fact that I see the politicization, I see the denominal, denominalizing you know, all these words I'm now making up to describe what's going on. When I start to talk about it, it's immediately labeled as divisive or unnecessary, or, you know, you're just trying to cause trouble because you're the young kid that doesn't like, you don't like us old people. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I hear that one a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And when in reality, the the stuff that I'm talking about as far as this is what we need to get back to is actually a much older practice than what the church is hanging on to at the moment, which is the ultimate irony in all of it. <laughs> so you unpack know. that a little bit, what that what that looks like. So, um, you know, when when we look at the early church. They were, it was all about the local church. It was right. not about the, you know, and I mean, even Paul, Paul in first Corinthians, and th this is one of those passages where I think we talked about this on kingdom on the road of, you know, first Corinthians one, 10 through 16 is like the most unpreached 
portion of scripture related to the the ecclesiology of a church where Paul Paul says, you know, I've heard there's divisions among you and there shouldn't be, you know, some say I follow Paul, others say Apollos, some say Christ. And so it did did Paul die for you? Is Christ divided? You know, all of those sort of things. With the goal of we've got to get rid of the, you know, the celebrity, the celebrity preacher, the tribalism, all this kind of stuff, and just focus back on how can we be the hands and feet of Jesus within our community? How do we actually do the Great Commission correctly and do it well and do it efficiently and effectively? And that, that, for whatever reason, the, the focus of a lot of, churches that are a little bit bigger or that are very much tied to the cooperative program within the SBC. They're very much tied to what's going on within the general assemblies of other denominations, all those sort of things. The identity has stopped being about being a church within the community. And it started being about a church that stands for something other than stands for Christ in their community. Right. Um, you know, one church that I was, we were, we were tasked to rebuild. Um, you know, when I had gotten there, they had changed their name like a year or two before that. And they had taken, it was a, it was a evangelical friends church and they had taken the word evangelical out to make the name shorter. And so it was insert city here that I'm not going to blast right now. Insert city here friends church instead of insert city here evangelical friends church and they said it didn't do anything so that's because you took the wrong word out yeah you took out you took out evangelical instead of friends because now people think that you're a community club rather than a force for the gospel within their community that they can come to when they need help and the the for me, at least, the places where we see the most resistance to the style of ministry is in the areas of multi-ethnic, the multi-ethnic factor and the focus on outreach within the community. Um, th- those are the two, for me, at least, that always gets the most pushback, even though those are the ones that I have found to be the ones that are should be hardwired into the DNA of the church. Right. So it's it's funny because there's a part of me I I am of two very very distinct worlds because of the way that I was raised as a Christian. And I don't mean from birth. I mean for the last 4 years that I've been a Christian. Right. You know, for with with recording with Edgar to the things that I was exposed to before I was even a Christian and and so on and so forth so so kingdom and stuff like that was always language that just was used it just made sense and it wasn't until i started to expand my my horizons a little bit that i realized just in just what kind of minority Mm -hmm. that people who use kingdom language really and truly are and and that to to me so so i'm able to to speak on on what is considered in the wide angle view as 301 401 level subject matter with kingdom stuff and intimacy and relationship and all of that kind of stuff that's like mind-blowing to some people but then like this 
this other stuff that a lot of people classify as 101 terminology, you know, mm -hmm. if you if you notice, I'm asking the questions and different things like that, because a lot of this stuff is all I recognize it for what it is. It's church rhetoric. It's it, it's right. it's religious. Christianese. Yeah, it's yeah. religious nonsense. That's that's. So, but but it wasn't until I was talking to somebody and they challenged me on, okay, so you want you want to act within this thing called the church, right? Yeah, you feel like you've got a message that a lot of Christians need to hear. Yeah, then you need to know what's going on within the church, the good and the bad. Right. And and that's kind of been where my eyes have been open to this stuff. But there's still this part of the part in the back of my mind that won't leave me alone that says why isn't some of this stuff just common sense like you said you said those two things and 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 granted i might not be um the most knowledgeable and trust me when i when i tell you the my, my wife and i are, are are from an area where it is our job as the 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 gener this generation Let's let's leave some of the some of the little colloquialisms that oh they're just seemingly <laughs> harmless behind in the past. And yes. we're not talking about anything like oh man, but we're talking yeah. about little things that if you if you look up the history of that word, if right. you look up the history of that phrase, that doesn't have a good good history to it. You know well, what I'm and saying? And that that's something that even, you know, that the the label woke that gets thrown around and that, you know, I've had thrown at me, I don't know how many times just this week. People don't realize the reality that using it in a negative connotation the way they are is actually the same thing as using the N-word in a negative connotation. Because the word woke began in the African-American churches. Huh. And it was used during the abolitionist movement and the civil rights movement as a, we are, we, this is an awakening and people are going to awaken to the reality that God has made us in his image. And they're going to be awakened to the evils of racism and the evils of, you know, all classism and all these other things. And now that term is now being used by you know, all, you know, they call themselves the anti-woke crowd and they label anybody they disagree with as woke as a as a bad term. Right. And what they're doing is, again, taking something that was used to identify people that were, you know, allied with people of color. And again, making it that if you're allied there, then you are an enemy. Right. But people don't do the research to be able to actually find that stuff. They just right. go with whatever they hear coming off of Fox News or the radio or, you know, insert crazy YouTube pastor here. You know, they don't actually look into the stuff to be able to determine what this actually is. Right. And, you know, that that's part of where, again, you know, I probably more than some of the other people that you're going to find doing this interview is that the misfit label gets applied in multiple areas. You know, I already said the Calvinism, Arminian stuff, all that. But then I also, you know, I've been, I was, I was told by one of my, my advisors in college that I was too Christian for the secular world, but I was also way too secular for the Christian world. You know, I, it, it, it's a struggle to be in both, but that's where God has placed me. You know, we, 
we are in this weird, you know, middle ground of, you know, you growing up in a denomination that says that prophecy ended back with the apostles and then every single spiritual gift test, which I think those are whack anyway, which that's a whole nother podcast. You know, every spiritual gift test you take prophecy comes up. It's very hard to be able to deal with having that as something that I said that that is one of the areas that I'm more aligned, spiritually gifted when the denomination says that that doesn't exist anymore. And it's because they don't use the term prophecy correctly. You know, all of these different things where just about any kind of paradigm that you can find, both sides think I'm the lunatic. <laughs> and and it's and it's a matter of, again, the, the, the holy discontent of where God has placed me and what God is telling me to do and the the love for the church is the reason why we endure the label being thrown around so so how do i how do i ask this because this this question is only going to make sense to other people that are in our situation but this one's for you guys how long did it take you to settle into the fact that Part of the growth process and the necessary application of who you are, what you do, all of those kinds of things involves seeing the things about this world that fundamentally make you discontent and long to be home. You know, I don't know. Yeah, and, and again, going, you know, this goes back, you know, backstory, you know, if you want to do the whole like flashback, you know, yeah. effects here. Um, oh, I should have brought my soundboard to show you. I've got a new soundboard that I can add sound effects in. Um, nice. You know, we, my, my call to ministry came at 13. Mm-hmm. And I said no for about five years. And at 18, when I finally said, okay, we'll see what, where this goes, the, um, you know, and then going into a horrid, horrid college experience, you know, the one redeeming thing that I got out of the, my college experience was my wife, mm-hmm. you know, the seeing how one side of the Christian spectrum that is so academic that they've lost their just their you know the love of faith and how that affected the way they taught seeing the other side of where they really don't care about the academics they're just like well we all love god here so we're good let's just get to the other stuff and then you know finding somebody like dr linville who is trying to show the love of what a ministry can do and finding that I was one of, you know, I was I was literally tossed out of theology classes in, in college for asking basic questions of, if you're saying that this is what it says, mm-hmm. and growing up I had always heard it said this way, but now me reading it here, I'm thinking that it's somewhere in between, how do I deal with this? The response was, get out of my classroom. 
Just out of curiosity, did you go ever end up going down the deconstruction road with all of this? In a way. And again, this is where, you know, this is why we, we chose the name we did for Misfits, is that even within deconstruction, you know, um, Brother Matthew and I just did an episode um, that's going to be released uh, in two weeks from when we're recording this for Misfits, talking about deconstruction in general. And you know, one of the things that is important with deconstruction is that you have a community around you to keep you grounded. Yeah. Otherwise, you don't reconstruct. You just deconstruct. I had no community. Right. You know, um, I played baseball in college, so I was in the athletic department. I was a ministry major, so I was in the theology department. And other than a few track guys who the track the, the culture of the college, the track guys were, like, separate from everything. They don't count in any category. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, the normally, if you were on an athletic team, you did, not, you did not go into ministry. If you were in the ministry department and came over on an athletic scholarship, you quit the athletic team. You don't do both. But here I was trying to do both. Which meant that I was, you know, I had friends, but I was kind of blackballed within both communities. And because we were playing, we had just gone up to Division Two from from NAIA, we now had to play games on Sundays, which meant that I could not join a local church because I had to, you know, we had games going on. Right. I was seeing things going on within the theology classes where it's like, this is straight up not the way that God intended us for us to do this yeah. and trying to. And then I was also seeing some things from that where it's like, and the way that I, that I had always heard it growing up is the exact opposite of what God is actually saying here. And I had to deconstruct, reconstruct just me and God. Right. And about four years worth of depression. And, you know, a lot of a lot of times, you know, one of the things that Dr. Linville always talks about is this idea of, you know, you those that go and actually go through school for ministry, you know, right. undergrad is really a defining or a defining time as far as what is your ministry actually going to be. And then seminary is really the refining process where God actually, you know, fr- puts your feet to the fire and gets out all those impurities and everything of, you know, theology and, you know, other thing and it and it makes you into the person that is about to go out into ministry i my refining process was happening during undergrad yeah and it was happening in a place where i had no nobody to turn to right um you know my now wife would not have been she she didn't understand fully what was going on with a lot of the stuff None of my roommates were in the theology department. Most of the other theology department guys thought I was a little bit crazy also. The baseball guys all just thought I was, you know, I was the chaplain for the team. And they also couldn't understand why the chaplain for the team was walking up to, you know, hardcore music, you know, up to the plate because they were expecting hymns, you know. Again, the misfit stuff even within within the, the, the music styles. But, you know, the the time that all of this kind of preparation and everything in a way was a preparation of what we were going to be facing 
coming into a ministry setting because there, even in some of the churches that we have been on staff at, we never really felt like we actually were accepted by the church. We were just there as the staff person. And so the, you know, the, the need to be able to go to God and say, God, you're the only one that understands what's going on here is way, it was way greater than we ever thought we were going to need. You know, especially when we lost, when we lost our daughter in 2019, you know, we were, we had been in, we had been in Cleveland for, you know, two and a half years, something like that. Cause anybody that listens to Misfits knows you can't trust my math. So we're going to say two and a half. Um, you know, we had been a part of two churches up there as pastors. We only were in Cleveland because of the people of Cleveland and the need that, you know, we saw there and they had kind of rejected the need. And then when we finally needed them, we never heard from the churches. We got one generic card after a while from one of the churches that was just the basic, oh, sorry for your loss. But outside of the Bible study that we were leading, which was really just two families, we we did not hear from any of the people that we had been brought up there to serve. Yeah. Because we were the we were the outcasts. But one thing that crosses my mind whenever I hear a story like that, uh, it it seems like on a wide angle scale. We get very, very uncomfortable with this whole idea of corporate suffering. Coming together and and oh yeah, I don't know, live, doing what the Bible says. And I'm trying to I'm trying to keep the bits out of it, right? Like this is the point. This is the part where I want to make fun of of American evangelicalism. You have no idea. Right. I'm biting my tongue so hard right now. Well, but, to to help with that, the church that we are at now, where we're not serving on staff, mm. they understood that, right. And, you know, they, they held the memorial service free of charge. The worship team came in on a Saturday and led worship. One of the families in the church paid for the entire meal for everybody. You know, we, we spent probably three or four hours in um, the pastor and his wife's living room with the associate pastor and his wife, just talking through and planning we, you know, the the associate pastor's wife came up and took pictures for us while we, you know, of us holding her. You know, the the pastor even, they drove up in the middle of a blizzard, which, you know, anybody that knows Cleveland or that area of the country knows what a blizzard actually means. You know, drove up through a blizzard to sit with us at 3 a.m. You know, they understand... When we talk, and this is the other thing that we got to be clear on when we talk about this stuff, is that we're talking, we are critiquing the culture of the evangelical church. Right. We are not saying that this is the way that every church is. Right. We are saying that this is the culture behind it. And the culture behind it is what we are calling out and saying needs to change. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, some, some stereotypes exist for a reason. I'm right. just just being honest and that 
But that doesn't mean that the entire concept is should be should be thrown out or disregarded. And that right. was something that it took me um quite quite a long time to get over it's kind of funny the community watched me grow real time with that one because i was i was seven different shades of super pissed off during 2020 like i just all i saw was disgust around around me and part do you of, actually part want to get into get into 2020 a little bit yeah let's do it 20, 2020 is actually where the brand started unintentionally okay. Because, you know, we were coming off of a loss and we were reconnecting with the, the church we're at. The, the people that planned it are friends of ours that, you know, we went to school together. We trained together. At that point, half the staff were people that we trained with, actually. Now it's not half the staff, but we're friends with all the staff. And, you know, all of us, you know, are able to work together, anything like that. Um, you know, we, we saw a between COVID, between the election, between Kanye West, between the, you know, the, the, the racial, you know, all the racial stuff going on is where I saw even clearer than when I was trying to pastor a church that didn't want to be pastored. The, just what was happening as a, church culture because the the church was completely polarized on masks on vaccines on what to do about race on whether what was going on in uh you know what was going on in minnesota was a riot or whether it was a protest on whether or not the election was stolen on whether or not it mattered it your salvation mattered on who you were voting for on you know Anything you can possibly imagine, you know, whether Kanye West was a Christian or not, was a huge debate among evangelicals. And the thing that I, you know, one of the things I saw, well, no, that was 2021. So part of what I started doing, because I was just working for CSRM at the time, was Greg had me writing blogs on this stuff. But they were blogs that we were not able to find anywhere appropriate to publish. Because we could not publish them within CSRM because they were not sports rec fitness ministry stuff. Mm. And that that's what every all of our resources were for sports rec and fitness ministry. And you know, my you know, my two page article on how the evangelical church is responsible both for the failures of Donald Trump and the failures of Kanye West in the way that we reacted to their announcements of their faith doesn't fit into a sports rec and fitness, you know, label. And so right. we were trying to figure out where can we actually put this stuff? Because this is stuff that needs to be put out and people need to actually be talking about this stuff. Because the thing that I saw more clearly than anything in 2020 and 2021, and even now in 2022 is a lack of empathy as a sp- as a spiritual lack of empathy within the American church. We cannot understand the feelings of other people. Even though that's what God has called us as Christians to do is to understand 
the world around us and how the gospel is able to impact it. Let me let me and uh, then, unpack that just a little bit for the for the for the international crowd because some of what you're saying is for for the for for somebody who isn't who isn't bathed in this crap as as Americans <laughs> it, it it doesn't it doesn't make a lick of sense. The 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 idea here is that um the the stereotype that gets lived out i think that might be the most judicious way that i can think of saying it um it is that if you don't if you don't x then you must be y or if you stand for x then you must be y and it's this spirit of if you're not if you're not with me you're against me right. but all of that like the everything everything that was mentioned all of the mask stuff all of the vaccine stuff all of the what way you vote stuff all of it was all given prioritization above where you land on the gospel where you land on those things influence the perception of where you landed on the gospel and and the vaccine specifically is why i was told i was no better than an abortion doctor because i would not condemn vaccines i was no i was no better than an abortion doctor because of the fact that i was saying that masks are a sign of loving one's neighbor whether you agree with it or whether you agree with the mask mandate or not and yeah, you know, the, a lot the, of people angry with that one too. You know, yeah. Well, and and this is the thing that just blew my mind was one month we had everybody saying, "Oh, well, only one percent dies, so why are we canceling church for this?" Even though churches weren't canceling, they were moving online, right? And then two weeks later, they're hashtagging all lives matter, right? Well, which is it? Is it? Ninety nine percent matter over here, or all lives matter, or is it just that your politics matter more than the Imago Dei. Right. And so, you know, that all culminated with January 6, 2021, with the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. And at that moment is when my executive producer called me and was like, you know, what? we're not going to be able to find an existing spot for this. Mm-hmm. You need to just go buy the microphone and do it. Because there, there aren't any. You know, the Holy Post does a good job with addressing evangelicals as a culture, but they don't provide anything for the church because that's not where they're, that's not where they're centered. Right. You know, you have a great international outreach, but you're not, you're not making resources from a ministry perspective for the minister. Right. That's there not, are, that's not my lane yet. Like that's right, something that's I'm not interested your in. And you know that. And you know that, and so that's why you don't do it. But there were not, there were very few ministers that were willing to actually put their neck out there and say, okay, this is what the gospel actually tells us is how we are supposed to respond. Right. You know, one of the places that was most evident as far as how we knew what the reactions were going to start being was a conversation I had one week with a white minister and a black minister the next about the right, the, the racial stuff going on in Minnesota right? with the, the burning of buildings and breaking into target, which I still think the funniest image out of that whole thing was the guy that during the looting walked in and just grabbed the Lego death star and then walked out. 
he knew exactly what he wanted and he just went in and got it um that's a yeah sorry side note but you know when i when i mentioned when the the white pastor started calling them riots and you know these are race riots and these are thugs and everything else and i said well have you considered the fact that they are they have been treated as property for over 400 years if they've been treated as property as 400 years, destruction of property actually is a pretty valid and eye for eye response. And he could not comprehend that idea. I wasn't, I wasn't saying it was okay. I wasn't saying that that was the way a Christian should respond. But for somebody that is living in a materialistic worldview and mindset, if you've been treated like property, destruction of property when they have destroyed property by killing a man is a is a eye for eye response right and then when i had the same sort of conversation with a black minister and he's and i said you know am i off on this he said no he said that is exactly what is going on but him as a black minister cannot say that because if he does if he says that now, all of a sudden, he has all of the racial labels coming his way. Right, right. Suddenly, he is a lot of things that get soundbited and get captured right. and get, get and put so, out there. And so, there, you know, part of what, you know, the anatomy of a misfit in terms of at least for me is that because of the fact that I am literally in the middle of everything and everybody – the, the empathy factor for me is a, okay, I can see where you're coming from. And now that I can see where you're coming from, we can actually deal with what's at the heart of this issue. And if we can deal with what's at the heart of this issue, then we can actually identify how Jesus can impact you. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, that, the fact yeah. that you, the fact that you made it there speaks to the power of the leading of the spirit. Because I can tell you, that's not the first natural stop. No, I I, it, I eventually <laughs> I eventually am getting to that that section of town where being in the middle and being a pariah in so many different types of circles has raised my empathy factor for other people that are considered pariahs for different reasons or are looked at as less than or different or whatever for X, Y, or Z reason. My first reaction was to, like I said, seven different shades of super pissed off, you know? And the, you know, getting into the how we get into that mindset is a theological, philosophical, methodological question. So what we, we refer to this um, within both CSRM, CSRM and the Misfits as the three-tier paradigm. And, and this is what we do everything through. You know, the foundational layer, and this is the key piece to how we actually can do this in real in a real world setting, is the first layer is a is the Christocentric, so Christ-centered theological truths. You know, what are these theological unshakable truths that point us to who Christ is and what Christ is doing for us in the world? And then once we can identify those, 
then we can start actually thinking about them philosophically. So the second layer is the philosophical principles. These are biblically based philosophical principles. So what does the Bible tell us how we should think about these things going on using these Christocentric theological truths? And then after we've been able to think about these things biblically, then we get into, okay, now that we we know what we think about this, what do we do about it? And so that's the methodological models up on top. But when you start with Christ-centered theology as your basis and understand that you are going to be thinking about these things through the lens of Scripture, right? you're able to then listen to the world around us that is not coming from that mindset without it having to infiltrate you because you are grounded in the theological truths that point us back to who Christ is. Right. And what we have, what I have seen and what I have found is that the majority of evangelicalism as a culture does not have a Christocentric theological foundation. Correct. What, what I refer to it as, apparently I named, I, I'm the we, Brandon and I are the ones that named it apparently, even though I was positive that I took it from somewhere else, is we, we refer to this as Cold War theology. And yeah, it's I don't know a, if that was you that said that the first time, but I feel yeah. like I've heard that someplace before. It, it was me it apparently, just, because when you Google it, the only thing that comes up is me. Fair enough. The, the the concept is not new. This we, we we know what this actually is, but the reality of the fact that modern evangelicalism is rooted in bad theological thinking. So things like covenant theology, replacement theory, replacement theology, Christian nationalism, theonomy, you know, it, it's off of a bad brand of Puritanism. Once we understand that that is where the theology that we have built everything is on, it's very easy to understand how we got to churches shouting, let's go Brandon in their congregations. Because it's not about pointing things back to Christ. It's about pointing things back to a power struggle with the world rather than a servant heart to reach the world around us. One of the most telling things for me was when I had a conversation with a gentleman in Germany that had reached out. He found me after after listening to a couple of the shows. And he was just so struck about the things that, like, we were talking about, Ant and I were talking about um, the Book of Acts and community. And, mm-hmm. and what it says and what it doesn't say and about how we have a very hard time getting off of go. So you're saying we should just, you know, sell everything and all get together. That's just socialism and, and all of that. And, and he was telling me about the town that he lives in. And the idea is, is that they all care about each other to the extent that they would rather make sure everybody's cool then have a couple people cool and one person not right. be in the whole thing. Like, and, and so it's very much a, there is no shame in this idea of sharing resources and, and things like that. And, and if man, if you did that, if you took that model 
in anywhere USA, right? That would be seven different kinds of isms and is and all of these different things that would. And that the reason why. You, the the reason why, and you know we we've we did we Brian and I recorded a very watered down version of this on the Misfits podcast. Matthew Winter and I are doing a separate podcast, also walking through it a little bit. Um, we're in a writing process for a few blogs that are a little bit more wordy than even Brandon let me get on the microphone. Um, he, he literally kept saying, if you listen to it, you hear him throughout going saying, we need a quick version, quick version. Um, but, you know, when everything that is considered right now as a heated topic, so CRT, anything racial, anything financial, anything women's rights, anything on abortion, if it does not fit the conservative narrative, what is it labeled as? Uh, are you asking? Yeah, I'm asking you. What is it labeled as? Uh, liberal? Not even liberal. It's labeled as Marxism. Uh, Marxism, yeah. Because the theology that evangelicalism is rooted in is was built out of the Cold War. Right. Because we were fighting the godless communists. And so to prove ourselves to be true Americans, we have to be both we have to be Americans first and then Christians. And so anything that I think is counter to either America or Christianity is automatically now Marxist because right. that is what our theology is built out of. And so it doesn't allow for a Christianity outside of an American context. And that affects our mis that affect affects the way that we do missions as churches that affects the way we do evangelism in our communities or in a lot of cases lack thereof. That affects the way that we talk about the stuff that happened yesterday, the stuff that happened two weeks ago, the stuff, you know, the, the, it's the way that we talk about the leak coming out of the Supreme court. It's the way that we talk about the task force report coming out of the SBC. It's not biblically based. It is politically based. And so part of what has caused me specifically as a misfit within the church is that I am going, I am actually calling it what it is. Right. And saying, this is your politics, not your theology. And so we've got to get our theology back regardless of what politics that fits in. Yeah. Because if we read scripture and see that, guess what? Capitalism actually is sinful that Marxism is actually sinful, but not in the way we thought it was that God doesn't even like theocracies that the initial government that was handed down to the Hebrews was not a theocracy, but was actually supposed to be a self governed people under the law. That means that that changes everything about the way that we identify ourselves as Americans much more than it changes any of the way that we identify ourselves as believers. The question that I 
that I've come out of the first five books of the Bible with. And and I, I do this slow crawl, the whole truth. I, I, I God uses the most unlikely of people. So he's like, let's go ahead and do a do a slow crawl. I'm like, I can barely read. And I'm okay, let's do it. And and so I stumble my way through it. But the thing that the, the thing that I, I left that section of scripture asking myself is we look at the world around us, right? We look at we look at the governing the governing body, we look at the way that we conduct ourselves, the things that are just so very evidently priority, all of those things. And and it's one of two things. Either you've never been taught what the actual series of events was that led to Israel getting their first king and uh-huh. the the establishment of and, and what God's actual first reaction was to, to all of that. And like either you've never been taught that or you're ignoring that. Either way, you're you're acting as if that isn't what the Bible actually says. It's right. it's that you you it's so easy to reach for the doctrine of um capitalism of um upper middle class of whatever the case may be and and have that be the thing and have that be the centerpiece of your theology and your politicalism and all of that kind of stuff and and have all of these things but like when you read the way that Israel was set up at the beginning, it was designed to be a self-sustaining separate organism, mm-hmm. separate from every, from everything else. Literally, it says that. To be holy and to be separate. set apart. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's not just separate. It's set apart. Yeah. And that is the key. And that is what he calls for the church as well. Right. Is for us to be set apart. Not separate, set apart. Right. Because those are two completely different things. And so, but what we get instead is we have some saying we need to be completely set apart or, and, and not set apart that way, I mean, completely separate. Or we have some that say, well, we can be set apart, but still look like everything else. Yeah. When what scripture says is you are to be a holy race that is set apart a race that is set apart from the rest, which means that we are going to be communicate in community and we are going to be interacting with people that are not set apart, but we should be so set apart that they can't help but notice that we are. Yeah. And the way that they can tell that is not by the voting record as far as which side you check, but by the way that you are trying to impact the community that God has placed you in. You know, Jeremiah 29, 7, you know, seek the prosperity of the city I have placed you. Right. Because it's not about us. It's about the gospel moving forward and changing the communities around us for their prosperity, both spiritually and physically as well. And the thing, the thing is, though, though, when when you hammer into that, right? What you say, what if you say it just like that? Somebody someplace is like somebody just oh, labeled me a prosperity gospel guy, which means yes. they didn't listen to the episode where you were on with me. 
Exactly. Exactly. Um, that that's like that's like when people call me uh, uh, part of the hyper grace movement. I'm like, you don't know what that means, um, right? And so when we you like can labels. say it like that, right? You we can like, say it like we that like labels and, without knowing what they are. <laughs> that's the okay. That's the best part. Let me let me let me shoot here for a second. Why why do we not understand that words have definitions? Why do we not? Why why are we tr just at least if I'm, I promise I will have less of an attitude if you just know what you're saying. If yep. if then if if you I will have more respect for the person who's out of pocket but using terminology that they intended to use and they know what they believe and why they believe it than somebody who just heard some stuff on the internet and starts throwing around terms like they're like they're water. When you hear somebody say something yes. like we need to care for our community when, okay, let's boil that down there for a second, right? doesn't matter. You can look at anywhere, anywhere in the world, whatever your community is, whatever your context is, it does not matter. It does not. I'm not just talking to the, to the American audience here. I'm literally talking, to everybody what are we called to do love god love others what is providing for your community and and pouring into mm -hmm. your community and caring for others loving others but we get so lost in the sauce on what's my community and who's my brother it's almost like there's nothing new under the sun and humans have been asking this out of pocket question for generations i was about to say i, I think i think there's a verse in there somewhere mm -hmm. you know the the two 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 quick stories be, before we got to shut this down uh, of examples of this that are somewhat somewhat recent as of this year one of them was in a conversation where again it was a anti CRT rant from a group of people that then kicked me out of their group after they they uh I gave them I gave them this realization they were arguing. I finally got them, first of all, to admit that they had never dealt with CRT at all. Because the only source they had was Vadi Bachman. And when they asked me for my sources, and when I said I, I've read I've read the essays of Derek Bell and Kimberly Crenshaw, and they immediately dismissed me because they said, Well, those sources aren't liable. Even though those two are two of the four creators of CRT. Right. So source material didn't count. But then when they finally admitted that Marxism was their issue, and I pointed out that capitalism has had just as many atrocities as Marxism, they're just not as big and not as blatant for the news. They asked me to define capitalism. So I went to Adam Smith and Wealth of Nations and literally copied a word-for-word -word definition from Adam Smith on what capitalism is. And they, they acted like I was out of my mind saying, well, where did you get this from? I said, this is from Adam Smith out of Wealth of Nations. And they looked at and they responded to me going, who's that? Another CRT guy? They had been trying to argue that capitalism was God's chosen thing without even knowing who founded capitalism. For those that don't know in your international audience, Adam Smith is the founder of capitalism. And they didn't even know. And then in addition, and then we, to your point about the words have meanings, the whole Jamar Tisby thing going on right now, there was somebody that put up a 
prayer request, quote unquote, for GCC, saying we pray that there will be no more colonization of the gospel here at GCC. And so I responded saying, do you not see the irony of using the word colonization here? Because what they were arguing was that Jamar Tisby as a black pastor, or not even black pastor, he's a black historian. He's not even a black pastor. He's a black historian. As a black historian talking about American history and about the, the, you know, the racial discrimination and segregation and hatred that has been going on within the country and the history, they referred to that as a colonization, colonization of the gospel. When in reality, what they were actually advocating for was they wanted the colonized gospel to be preached. And when I pointed that out, they wanted to change the definition of what colonization actually was. Yeah. Because they couldn't handle the fact that what they were, they had already misdefined and mislabeled CRT. They had misdefined and mislabeled Jamar Tisby. And now they had even gotten caught in their lies by using a word that come that is a actual representation of what is happening in the wrong way. And rather than admit it, they then try to change the definition while accusing me of changing the definition of CRT. Because we don't like the fact that our words actually have meaning. And especially for us as believers, our words have even more power and meaning than we think they do. Or maybe we think they do, we just don't we don't want to be accountable for it. I think we want I think we like the idea that that our words carry any kind of weight with with anybody on any level because of the ego. But right. but but then but then when push comes down to shove like you look at people you look at what the Bible has to say one of the biggest things that stood out to me when embarking on making the transition into teacher right is is this whole idea that as as teachers we are held to a higher standard and if you are a teacher and that doesn't scare you to death then you don't fully understand what's going on here just being nobody yeah no nobody this is something that i've been asked before and you didn't ask it but you just alluded to it you know, people have accused me of wanting to be an edgy, an edgy is the other word that gets turned around on a lot, which just is weird. Right. Of being an edgy, you just want to be an edgy preacher, an edgy yeah. pastor. You know, you just, you were another one that didn't study any theology. You just wanted the fame. And so that's why you wanted to be a pastor. Right. First of all, I said no for five years. Yeah. And there are times where I wish I still had said no. Because nobody in their right mind wants to have this kind of a responsibility and receive this much hatred. Yeah. That's the thing. Because that I, it's, it's not a glamorous job. No. And outside of the TV preachers, most struggle to be able to put diapers on their kids. Yeah. Yeah, they do. <laughs> It's not something that we just go out and say, oh, this sounds like a good career path. Right. This is something that God puts on people based off of their giftings, 
based off of the resources that they have at their disposal and based off of the holy discontent that they are willing to bear. That's, and it's that's, not something, you know, we use that term bear literal, you know, this is a weight. It's heavy, you know, the the last thing I'll say, be you know, say for this is that, you know, most of the churches that we have been staffing did not go well because the, the congregation did not like the message that was coming because it was very much of a changing of culture. Right. And, you know, as we were, you know, after leaving, the calls that we get or the texts that we get are pictures that we get from the few people that we're still connected with in these places mm-hmm. are calls of exactly what you said would happen if we did not change course has happened. Kids getting shot, churches shutting down, entire youth programs gone communities that you know they don't even recognize that there is a church anymore and you would think if this was an ego boosting type of thing that this would be good because oh look god has vindicated us everything we that we had been preaching and saying is exactly what god god has done look at us we're all good yeah i would love to just have one time a phone call come in saying look at us you were completely wrong that would be the phone call I would actually want to save. It's not about being right. It's about proclaiming the message that God has for the people that he has put in front of you. Right. Right. And that's scandalous. What you just said is scandalous because that means... Because everything I say is scandalous, apparently. Exactly. (laughs) It means that you don't live for anything if, if that's what that is. If you're not, if you're, whatever that prioritization isn't there, then that must mean you don't live for anything. And I'm so glad to hear somebody else put lyrics to the holy burden of it all. And that's what I refer to it as, is a holy burden, because that discontentment's real. And, and that, that is why you hear me say a couple of things. A, for the love of everything that's holy, don't take my word for it. I am not the final authority. Do not right. say to anybody, but Joe said this or whatever. The, take it to take it to the scriptures. But pray, pray for your teachers because more often than not, the vitriol that they get more is is so is so draining on so many on so many layers because you are tasked with pouring out of yourself and then and then being here for it. Here, here's a stat for you with that. Yeah. The uh, a study was done. I can't remember who did the study. Mm-hmm. A study was done on the um, the occupations that had the most stressed out marriages, and the occupations that also brought on the most PTSD, and the occupations that caused the most suicides were law enforcement, military, which those are the ones everybody thinks. And then clergy. Yeah. This is yeah. not something that people just go into for fun. No, that's that's true. That is true. 
So, all right, man. I this is this is one of those things that there's so many layers to the onion, and we could just keep going. But let's let's go ahead and bring the plane in for a landing for people that want to hear more of what the misfits are are up to. Um, let the people know where they can find you. Yeah. So we actually have a website we can actually send people to now that you know we paid for it. Um, so if you go to www.ministrymisfits.com. Um, that's where you can find pretty much everything. Um, if you would rather not mess with the website and just find the link to the show on whatever you're listening to this on, if you go to bio.link backslash ministry misfits, it'll bring you a full list of all of the different links. Um, you can find me on Twitter at ministry misfit. Um, please, if you do follow me, don't just sit there and stare and actually chime in every once in a while while I'm having to beat back all the weirdos on there um, and being called the you know abortion doctor. Um, I had one. I had one one guy that it wasn't the guy that called me abortion doctor. It was one of his friends that tried to challenge my faith by sending me his Venmo information, saying if I don't have three thousand dollars in here by tomorrow, you're obviously not a Christian. <laughs> and I said, and my response was like, obviously, you don't know much about past pastors because I don't even have that kind of money to give if I wanted to, um, you know. So, yeah, you can find me on on Twitter. Um, we're also on Instagram at Ministry Misfit. Um, and there's no S on that because that was already taken and we don't know by who because we can't find them anywhere. Um, we're on Facebook. Also, it's Ministry Misfit Media. Um, we also have a Facebook community on there um, that ideally we're going to have actual discussions on if people would actually interact. Um, you know, we do have, uh, when are you releasing this, Joe? Uh, this will come out next Wednesday. Ah, oh, so you guys just missed it. So never mind. Forget that. Um, okay. We had a campaign going in May. So that's why I was saying that. Um, where, where was I at? Oh, yeah. So yeah, MrMisfits.com. Um you can find us bio.link uh, backslash ministry misfits. Um, you can also find us on all the social media channels. Um, yeah, I think that's everything. Brandon normally Brandon normally does this part for me. It's been a while since I've had to do this. <laughs> I'll make sure the links are done in the episode description. Man, yeah. this is this has been a blast. We'll have to do this again soon. 